Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Lean to the Left, home of no-holds-barred commentary, plus interviews with fascinating people, some of them top experts, others simply with interesting stories to tell. You'll never know who will show up at Lean to the Left. Now here's your host, Bob Gaddy. Now I'm joined in this interview with Mark Ambello, the uh, co-host of uh, the Justice Counts podcast with me, and an author and uh, attorney who uh, contributes frequently to the Lean to the Left blog site. So welcome, guys, and welcome, Mark. Hey, guys. Welcome to Justice Counts. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed the book, although I confess I haven't read the whole book. I'm wondering, listening to Bob read your bios, this seems to me to be a strange collaboration, you two guys. You have very different resumes, very different life experiences. How did you guys get together? Well, um, Brian first approached me to work with him on a nonfiction version of some of his experience, especially with Halliburton and the burn pits and you know when Dick Cheney w was running that um, organization, and so we put together um, a nonfiction book proposal, um, drawing on those experiences, and it was shopped around by an agent, um, and the feedback was positive, but there were quite a few publishers who said, "Well, Halliburton, 
Dick Cheney, that's old news for us. We don't see we don't see, you know, a moneymaker for us there. So they, they took a pass. And so then Brian asked me if I would be interested to work on a novel because he thought, wow, we could really just have a lot of fun doing a novel version inspired by by some of this. And so that's how that transition happened. Okay, so I guess I guess Brian came up with the idea for this book then, right? Well, yeah, it's based on his I mean, I'm not a lawyer. It's based on his experience as a lawyer. Um yeah. and but I loosely loosely based because you know, the stuff in the book uh no, I just just I'm just working as Brian's potential divorce lawyer to tell his wife that none of that really happened. Um, he's a good guy and he, he, he's not the pervert, um, that, that so many of other people in the book are. Yeah. So I just want to make that clear. <laughs> yeah. Glad to hear that. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm doing him a favor. I'm doing him a favor. Were you guys friends before? I mean, how did you get together? Well, we knew, we, we had knew, known each other through a common, uh, a common acquaintance in Philadelphia. Um, and then as it turned out in between, I did a memoir for somebody that knew Brian's family, um, that came through another source. And then, um, in between though, I ended up working with Brian's mother on a memoir. Brian's mother was an extraordinary human being. She was a single mother to four rambunctious boys when her, her husband and Brian's father died young, very unexpectedly. And uh, she ended up raising the four of them, going to law school, becoming a lawyer herself. Uh, in those times, this was no easy thing for a woman to do. Uh, and yeah, she, she was amazing. So I, I worked with her on her memoir. And then at that, and then Brian and I kind of reacquainted and, and we're, we're, you know, kind of rebooted this idea of the whole class action thing and lawyers and everything going from nonfiction to fiction. But as you see in the book, sometimes the lines are blurry between nonfiction and fiction, especially when it comes to these stories. Yeah. As an yeah. author myself, I'm, I'm interested in your process. Was this a true collaboration? Did you guys write different sections or did Brian tell you a story and then you wrote what you heard? How does that, how did it work? Well, I'd, l I'd like to weigh in on this. Uh, in for the proposal that we did for um we had a chapter outline it was pretty extensive chapter outline and then uh we didn't follow it to a t uh you know we in fact about halfway through the novel we made a major change we changed uh the sex of one of the uh, lead character lawyers, we turn him into a her, and um, you know, basically that was uh, the process. Why discri Why discriminate? Yeah, but wait, 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 wait. To clarify, no, to clarify, the gender of the character was was changed behind the scenes. The the character. Uh, no, 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 no. In the story, like, he didn't have it. It was just like. I was talking with a friend and, you know, we wanted to have the female <laughs> character and I have two, uh, basically 21 and 20 year old girl, uh, girls. And I want to show them that, uh, females can be successful in a male dominated field. 
and that's what Dave and I changed. I, I, I understood. I understood. I understood the reference. There's, there's a lot of great one-liners yeah. in the book. Uh, one that summer that basically summarizes the whole thing up is quote, it's a dirty job and somebody has got to do it. <laughs> does, does this book play into every terrible stereotype of lawyers? You've even got a story in, in there where Hollis, the guru of the class action guys, so, uh, makes makes a lawyer disappear. So, um, Does the book ever what, compliment lawyers? What I would lawyers? say is that um, <laughs> Why should it? Ryan Coleman is loosely based on me. That's it. As far as every other uh, character was completely made up. And it was based on some of the lawyers that I've dealt with as far as uh, scheme work, but the characters were really made up. So did you ever go into court uh, trying to get into the courthouse with shoes that had metal plates in them? <laughs> yeah, so that's what happened when, when that's a true story. Um, when <laughs> David and I were working on the memoir, we had to do two live chapters and that uh, was a true story as far as so we just translated it to that's what happened to Coleman. I love that. It was a riot. And last night I was reading it in bed and my wife said, are you ever going to stop reading that book or are you are we going to go to sleep here? I said, no, well, we, I got to find out what happens to this guy. The judge is really to... pissed off. Yeah, we want to break up as many marriages as possible, you know, with this book. <laughs> I love how you had the judge dressing this guy down. I thought it was great. Uh, uh, anyway, um, in the well, book- it's a little extra. For example, when you talk talking about the line between fiction and nonfiction, like the the judge in the real courtroom, the federal courthouse, she was a female. Yeah. We changed her. We changed her name, obviously, but her behavior was fairly consistent. But mm-hmm. like all the protesters and the other stuff that was going on, that was blown up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Now uh, there are multiple examples of of lawyers receiving fees way out of proportion to the plaintiff's recoveries. I remember the blockbuster litigation where the litigants each got a $5 coupon and the lawyers made millions. Are lawyers paid fairly in these cases or does the system need a fix? That sounds like, that sounds like a Brian question. Well, so, you know, what I was involved with was securities class action. And basically they were all lawsuits that were dealing with underlying stocks. And it wasn't like everyone hears about where the class gets coupons and the lawyers get millions of dollars in fees. It really wasn't like that. What happens in securities class action is the lawyers receive a windfall. And Congress passed the, it's called the PSLRA, Private Securities Litigation Reform Act, was passed in the mid-90s. And what the lawyers are set up, they help police the corruption as far as the corporate greed. And as a result, the lawyers receive a windfall. That's it. But it's not like any lawsuit has to be approved by a federal judge. And David and I had had conversations about that. The federal judges have to be appointed by 
uh, vetted through Congress. So there's has, there's definitely been some lawsuits that I've been involved with that the class didn't receive that much, and the lawyers definitely had uh, a nice payday. But on the but on the other hand, you've got situations like Enron and Halliburton and and bad players like that who made a fortune and you recover money back for the government or the citizens. And even if you receive, you know, in, in the Enron case, 688 million bucks, five times billable hours, uh, a judge has to approve that. You, you, (laughs) you use an example in your book about a painter who, um, who offers to paint a house for 400 bucks and the homeowner offers him 2000 who'd refuse that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it, remember it was a satire and we wanted to, you know, make the point, but with the Enron case is the judge that approved it. Um, the lawyer had an agreement with CalPERS is the California pension fund. And the agreement was based on the recovery that he was able to get. And the attorney for CalPERS was in court and he blessed the settlement. And by the way, that settlement was incredible. I think it goes down as the most incredible thing in modern day legal practice because the lawyer was able to get $7.2 billion from all the banks, but two banks held out. They took it all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court says that the plaintiffs should get nothing. So this lawyer was able to recover $7.2 billion, where the Supreme Court said the plaintiffs should get zero. That's incredible. So he was a good guy. Now, um, (laughs) you've got another quote in the book that cracked me up. It says, I do not give a shit about class members. This is from uh, one of the big shot lawyers in the book. I do not give a shit about class members. You hear me? I'm only concerned with the riches I develop from the practice of law. Now, that sounds like a stereotype to me, is it? Is there any truth to that? I mean, is that how it really is? Um, is it all just a big money grab for the, for these lawyers it, that are involved yeah, in this? Yes, stuff? It, it it really is. And that quote came from a real live lawyer, and David and I created the character in the book Smalley. Uh-huh. There wasn't uh-huh. a real Smalley, but there was a real lawyer who told me <laughs> that exactly thing. He I'm not surprised. Care. And it, it is a money grabber, and these attorneys are really self-righteous. They don't yeah. really admit that it's just a money grabber. Yeah. The book the book is very funny. I, I, I haven't read the whole book, but I've read a lot of it. And I went to David's website, and as a Jewish boy myself, I, I enjoyed all his shtick, especially the, the fact that he performed magic and comedy at bar mitzvahs. I presume he's the one with the big sense of humor, but uh, Brian, are you funny too? That that's an unfair question to ask somebody. Yeah, I guess he didn't I think hear it's me. That's an unfair question to ask somebody. Are you are you funny? I think you. I, I think you stumped you stumped you stumped it. <laughs> I'll ask. You know? I'll ask David. Yeah. I'll ask David. Is Brian funny? 
Uh, he can be, but um, I, I would say just it, it was a lot of fun to write uh, because it, it's sort of like what material, somebody, right? <laughs> yeah, but somebody just said, "Hey, if you're a kid and and your parents take you to the playground, and you go and they say, hey, you can go play on anything you want, <laughs> right? And don't worry if you fall off the monkey bars, you won't really get hurt. So what? Just go. And and so that was what it was like a playground. You know, Brian yeah. kind of had certain i mean we have to be careful just you know to not set up like technical legal things that weren't accurate or something like that but that really wasn't that big of a deal and it didn't happen that often so you know it was yeah we could really we could just go anywhere pretty much yeah there was another big shot quote in the book now this is this is from the lawyer that i i think that coleman guy in the beginning was trying to emulate Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy says, I have the greatest practice of law in the world because I have no clients. How in the hell can you have a practice if you don't have any clients? I'll leave Brian to explain that one. Wait, can you repeat the question? Yeah. You, it, at the beginning of the book, uh, you've got this guy that Coleman is trying to emulate, right? Um, I can't remember the lawyer's name, but he is a very famous. Yes. Yeah, that's Smalley. that's right. Smalley. and right. that quote Smalley. was a real quote from one of the most successful lawyers, and that's really what he said. He has the greatest practice in the world because he doesn't have to answer any clients, and that's really what it is. Bob's question is, how is that possible? I kind of know, but I want. Uh, can you tell the people how that's possible? Well, so what what happens is this. Um, you file a lawsuit on behalf of one client and you sue on behalf of everyone similarly situated. So you could have one client and you could have a class of millions of people. So that's really what the court is referring to. Ah, okay. All right. So it's like, it's like here in South Carolina where, Right now, there's a big deal about one of the military bases. The water was back in the, I don't know, 80s or whatever. The water was contaminated and a bunch of people got cancer. Uh, And the lawyers are all over it. There's ads all over TV today. Uh, Sign up. We'll get you money if you you, uh, uh, got cancer, if if you served in this base and you got cancer. So that's what you're talking about, right? Well, they'll find a they'll they'll file the case in, on behalf of one person, uh, and and then everybody who also was as you said similarly situated they got they also got sick from this water. They they are all involved in the lawsuit. Is that right? Yeah, that's sort of right. Yes, that's correct. But you you know what it strikes me as a non lawyer who is just looking That's at this correct, through the eyes of being a storyteller, it looks to me like ambulance chasers on steroids. Yeah, me too. I got to tell you that, David. Me too. I'm not a lawyer either, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the other thing I would suggest to you non-lawyers is that if you're a referral lawyer in a, in a class action situation, you literally don't have any clients. You're just waiting for a referral fee. It's kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to share a little anecdote with you guys. It, it It's not a big part of the book, but it was a, it, it was interesting to me. And Brian, I want to hear your comment on it. Coleman and Waterman, one of the other experienced older guys, 
share this story about, you know, the older lawyer and the younger lawyer. And the older lawyer is going to give the kid a lesson in the law and all that. And don't speak unless you're spoken to, he says to him. And the, the kid doesn't listen to him. But I remember early in my career, I had this small case and this older hotshot that graduated from Harvard. And he tells me he's going to give me a lesson in the law. And I declined this lesson and I tried the case and I beat him. And I'm wondering if, if Brian, you shared a similar situation in, in, in your real practice uh, that that caused you to put that in the book. Well, so what happened in, in the court um, that day, which is a real live story, is I was supposed to get there early and share a cup of coffee with the local counsel for the book. We named them Watermen. And I got there late because of the traffic. And one thing he said to me, do not speak unless you're spoken to. And he kind of said it was, you know, a little harsh. And um, I did exactly the opposite of what he told me. I stood up and volunteered something to the judge, and she took no mercy on me whatsoever. She ripped into me because I was attempting to BS her about the settlement, and she just did not let it go. And that's what the first three chapters of the book are about, the real-life story. Well, that, bring, that brings up another point about, about being a young lawyer. Judges pick up on that. They deliberately humiliate you in front of your client. Um, I've had experiences like that. She puts on a show for the voters, but she still signs the order. It was pretty typical, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yes, that's pretty typical. <laughs> And she signed the order. She she granted the fee. Well, I mean, no, no matter what I could do, you know, she just didn't let up. And she didn't take too kindly to that. <laughs> and this was real life. It was Northern District of Texas. And then this judge became the president judge of the Northern District of Te- uh, Texas Court. It, it struck me like, I, and this was an idea that I had where I, I, I but it was, it would be, too unrealistic but it was it was funny in my mind to have ryan coleman get to the point like literally ask the judge to write him a check right then and there in the courtroom you know or 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 just get or if you can't if you don't have your checkbook i'll take cash and here's here here's my briefcase you can throw it right here my briefcase nobody look hey here's here look at the birds flying you know and like like but it would have been a lot of fun and and but it was all. It was so, so far fetched that that uh, yeah. Although I mean, now that I now that I'm mentioning it again, I'm thinking, damn, maybe I should have should have done that. That would that would have been a lot of fun. Right. Hopefully, in the film, maybe in the film in the film version, that might work really well. Yeah, David. As, David, as Brian will tell you, the, the the more likely scenario is that the judge finds you. Well, yeah, that, you that, that, that could happen, or or they they end up sleeping with each other, and, oh and nobody writes any checks. Right. <laughs> right. or, or, or that, or that. Now, Brian, we have some of that in Detroit. <laughs> you've been talking about how yeah. uh, Coleman is really you in a lot of ways. So, do the big boys succeed in corrupting Coleman? So, I, I have issue with that because, and David can tell a story. Right. Is um, Coleman is loosely based on me? 
and loosely I stress the word because he and I graduated from Temple Law School and then he and I had the misfortune of both our fathers died early, young age. And that's really it. He lives in Philadelphia. He, we made it comical. He has a horrible marriage and, and I don't. So other than graduating from Temple and okay. Nobody succeeded in corrupting you, right? Early, we have nothing else in common. <laughs> so, that's good to know. That was he didn't answer, answer that. And I, I, I'll tell you this. I have friends who read it, and they can't get it out of their mind. The whole time when Coleman's speaking, and that's what we do a lot, he's asked these questions, is my friends say to me, I think it's you the whole time. They finished the book. Well, th- so they can't separate Coleman from me. Well, you said you wore those fancy shoes, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so it's more than just you going to Temple and your and your dad's dying early. It's more than that because you at least you wore the same kind of fancy shoes, right? Well, I, you know, we. I just wanted to make that character was pretty yeah. big impact on my life. Yeah. The fact that my dad died early okay. and I would so, tell you this. So I graduated law school and my mom also graduated temple law school. She was up on stage. She handed me my diploma wow. and I probably, I graduated with 500 different lawyers and I was the only one that both parents graduated Temple Law School. Wow, that's impressive. All right, so now what about the world of the $375 million yacht and $16,000 bottles of booze and expensive hookers for class action lawyers? Is that fact or fiction? I mean, it, it, it was a satire, so it's fiction. Okay. Well, it, it is and it isn't yeah. because there. I mean, the the fact is there are plenty of billionaires <laughs> who are who have yachts like that sure. and 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 a fleet of private planes sure. and so, some of them are uh, have accrued that wealth uh, through practicing law. Sure. And the case in the case of Randy Hollis, he goes from being a lawyer working with these enormous corporations to then getting their money to invest in these hedge funds that he does, and that makes his that just balloons his money beyond, you know, anything else that he could have done as a lawyer. So he's turned one into another into another. And the fact that he has all these escorts around working for him and taking care of him is kind of, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a billionaire. I don't, I I don't try, I don't hang out with these billionaires on their private islands and stuff, but I, I imagine some of them must be somewhat handicapped as human beings because they live in such a unrealistic bubble. They surround themselves with every little toy and indulgence they want. And, and I don't know how they are at having really good, healthy, sustained relationships. So for example, this guy Hollis, not only does he not want people to potentially, you know, like woo him and get him married and get him into a, you know, into a, you know, bad divorce situations. But I think it's much more than that because a prenup could take care of so much of that. It's really like he just going back to when he was a child, which a lot of this stuff does. I don't mean to get into a serious psychological thing, but really bad behavior, whether we laugh at it or not, usually stems from some fucked up childhood. 
you know? And, and I mean, just look at the people that we see in the public eye and then find out a little backstory on what kind of a ch- parent they had. They had a domineering father or a, or a, or a, an abusive mother or a combination of both. That's why they end up to be such messed up adults. Um, and then you put a lot of money and unlimited amounts of money in their hands and power. Well, that just turns them into basically, you know, real perverts, if you, you know, <laughs> perverts. <Yeah>. okay. Oh, <laughs> I searched high and low in the book for a positive quote <laughs> about lawyers. And I found quote, when I establish my position, no matter what it is, I will fight to the death. I'm not ever going to give up. I think it was Smalley that said that. Yeah. Uh, it was that a real quote. Is that based on a real lawyer? Yeah. Yes. That that is a real lawyer had said that to me. Um, exactly. And again, we created the character Smalley, but that was based on a real lawyer. That's what he told me. Okay. Uh, there was another line in the book too that I found interesting. Practicing law is the opposite of sex. Even when it's good, it's bad. Yeah. I, I don't get that. Can, can you explain? So, oh, I, that, oh, I do. That is, I do. <laughs> that, that is a real quote from Zuckerman, um, a famous uh, real estate multi-billionaire. Yeah. And he, he said that quote, so we kind of grabbed it. Okay. Do you believe it? Well, you know, like the quote is, you know, e- even bad sex is good. You maybe know, you guys, like, maybe you guys just haven't had enough bad sex to get the quote. <laughs> uh, maybe that's it. That's it. I'm, I'm trying to read this. Practicing law is the opposite of sex. Oh, so even when it's good, it's bad. It, I got right, it. Now right, I got it. Now even I got when it. when it's good it. or great, it's bad. Right. Because sex, even when it's bad, it's, it's good. good. That's 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 okay. so. So now I, I, I got it. So I presume most of these lines and most of these stories and anecdotes in the in the book are true. How about the one where the senior partner comes in and finds a bag of shit on his uh, on his desk? True. I know. I don't think that's no. That that's not that's not technically true. <laughs> 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 technically true. I'm being, I'm being careful, you know, just for legal reasons. I have to be careful what I'm saying here. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, that's that. I'm. Sh- you know what though? That's something like sometimes you know you make something up as a novelist. You make you make something up, and you and then somebody says, "Oh, is that true?" And I go, "Well, not necessarily in this story, but I bet you somewhere in some other law firm that did happen because it's it's such it's a fraternity yeah, behavior." Right. It's just like bad frat boys There's, and it's just bad frat boys and you give them a better office and more money and better shoes, but they still behave the same. Right. Yeah. I can, t- I can tell you that there's a lot of lawyers I've worked with and for. Yeah. I wouldn't exactly. mind leaving a bag on their desk. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, what about the federal prosecutor wanting to take down Hollis and using Coleman to do it? Is that based on some facts and situation? Well, I mean, that was completely made up. We just needed a bad guy. And then, okay. you know, in addition to Dick Dickey. So we just, you know, he was scorned from, you know, we, David and I tried to make it comical where, you know, he goes to Columbia and then, 
uh, Hollis takes his girlfriend. So, but see, the thing to me, this is actually based on, okay, it's, these are composites, these kinds of things. But it goes back again to the male behavior in fraternities, especially in like elite colleges and universities. And the same behavior permeates the for a lot of these guys. It permeates the rest of their lives. They just have bigger toys to play with and bigger expense accounts. But they're still acting like the same jerk you see at a rush party in a fraternity when you're 18, 19 years old. The guy who was the high school quarterback or the guy standing off the side who wanted to be the high school quarterback, who still resents the guys who got all the girls, you know, when he couldn't get the cheerleaders, he had to go to the after school science club and try to find somebody who might talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, you guys have another book coming out, right? Yes. Yeah. We're, we're just about to hand in book two. Yeah. And what is that? Well, that's the next, that's what happens to Ryan when he, when the, you know, what, what picks up right after it picks up literally from the minute book one ends book. That's where book two begins. Right, right, right then. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, where so can the, people- the contract that, that I signed with the publishing agreement called for a two book series. I see. I see. Okay. So where can people find your books and so on? Oh, well, they can go search Filthy Rich Lawyers on Amazon. It's available now. The Kindle version is available for pre-order. And the whole thing, you know, the regular book and, and Kindle and everything, the publication date is October 5th. So they just have to go on Amazon and hit uh, Filthy Rich Lawyers and, you know, it'll come up. Okay. Excellent. All right. So here's my big question of the day. Brian's this big class action lawyer. So his resume, his resume says so. He makes all this money in the class action world. Why does he need to write a book? Doesn't he have all the money he needs? And why doesn't he share some with you? Then you don't need a book. Then you don't need a book. What kind of question is that? <laughs> well, I, I, I thought I, I had a good story to tell. And then what had happened was when David and I were working on the memoir, I because I'm not a celebrity, I figured that it would be a difficult sell. Like I'm not a famous person, not a former congressman or something. So that's why I, 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 I had a, I had a love hate relationship with, with David. This book. So, I mean, I, so. uh, being a lawyer for almost 50 years and, and, you know, having a practice that, that really was uh, a practice to try to help people and make money at the same time. Uh, it, it, it's it's difficult to read stuff like this, but I got to tell you, I know lawyers, stereotypical lawyers, just like the ones in the book, <laughs> and, and I I have to admit that they're out there. So I, you had a love hate relationship with the book. I had a love. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a lawyer. I love this book. <laughs> well, they should. Well, they should, and and, we'll and you guys need to be commended for it. I think it's a terrific. It's a lot book. of fun. It's a lot and, of fun. No, thank, yeah. thank, thank you. Hey, Bob, I have Bob, I have a thank suggestion you. for you, though. you. Those lawyers that you that you didn't like working with, this is the perfect book to buy for them and say, see if you can find yourself in this uh, book. I'll think. I'll think about that. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna spend money on them and buy your book for them. <laughs> I already, I already think they're, I already think they're assholes. I'm not going to spend any money on, it. but, but I like the, but I like the idea. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Listen, 
We have to take a quick break here, but I'll be back in a few seconds with some closing comments. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you'll come back on a regular basis and check out our interviews with guests on topics that I hope you find interesting, entertaining, and enlightening. Our episodes stream twice weekly on Mondays and Thursdays. Let your friends know about this podcast and take a minute to subscribe. Just go to podcast.leantotheleft.net to subscribe. Check out the upcoming interview schedule and listen to all of our episodes. You can also support this podcast by clicking on the Donate tab at the top of the page where you'll find links to buy me a cup of coffee and also PayPal. And follow us on social media, Facebook at the Lean to the Left podcast, Twitter at Lean to the Left 1, and YouTube at Not Fake News. And don't forget to visit our blog site, leantotheleft.net, where you'll find commentary on the news by some excellent writers with progressive perspectives on a whole range of topics. You can sign up as a member there, and of course it's all free. Meanwhile, special thanks to the Raminger Group for sponsoring this episode and for providing the music track. The Raminger Group provides content and marketing consulting services to responsible businesses and nonprofits. Let them help tell your story. Visit RamagerGroup.com. Now this is Bob Gaddy signing off for Lean to the Left. Thanks for sharing your time with us.